0: this week on missions today
1: colin depression is a dark insidious heinous enemy to your peace of heart and mind it can distort reality twist it it can make god look like an ogre look like an enemy it can make the word of god seem trite and not applicable so so depression clouds your sense of reality it clouds your thinking well early on someone had showed me a bible verse uh, Psalm 119, verse 50. And just listen to this. It says, My comfort in suffering is this. Okay, so what is this? What is it? What is it? What's the comfort? Your promises renew my life.
0: If there's anyone who might have a reason to be down, to be depressed, it's our guest this week. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Johnny Erickson Tata. She was a healthy, active, athletic 17-year-old girl when a diving accident paralyzed her, placed her in a wheelchair, a wheelchair that would be her mode of transportation for the rest of her life. Johnny has faced so many hardships, quadriplegia, depression, cancer twice, and most recently, COVID. And through it all, Johnny has maintained a spirit of gratefulness, perseverance, and love, a love that literally reaches around the world. You may have heard part of her story before, but I'm sure you'll hear new things today. There's truly something in it for everyone, you and me. Johnny, so great to have you here on Missions Today. Oh,
1: Colin, good to be with you. And of course... uh friends listening either over radio or on the podcast. Just great to be with you.
0: I want to talk about your story and your mission and there's so much to cover. We're going to squeeze it all in here and you're going to help me do that. Uh want to start back in the early days. My first exposure to you was a film That came out, I believe, in the early 80s, telling your story of a diving accident. And some people have heard that story. Others have not. I actually want to go back before that a little bit. I know that you were raised in a family that was very active. Your dad was a wrestling champ and even went to the Olympics, I think, as an alternate. I know that you led a very active life. Tell me a little bit about your life before that accident. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, roll in a little bit about your faith journey during those years.
1: Well, I grew up in a wonderful family where we all often spoke of the name of Jesus, often went to the Bible to find help and hope. And so knowing God was uh, was common conversation around the dinner table. But my family, as you mentioned, was also athletic, active. My best childhood memories, Colin, were going tent camping with my mom and dad and sisters and cousins on the shores of the Atlantic Ocean along the beaches of Delaware up in the sand dunes. And oh, my goodness, we would go hiking and biking and crabbing and swimming and fishing. And it it was just a wonderful childhood I had. So you can imagine that when I had my diving accident at the age of 17, oh, Colin, I was the least likely candidate to uh, deal with life as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. It didn't even compute. It didn't even sink in when the doctors told me, Johnny, you'll never walk again. You'll never have use of your hands or legs. Colin, I can't believe that was 55 years ago. And thankfully, it was my foundation in the Bible. It was Christian friends. It was a small church that practiced Christianity with its sleeves rolled up. These are the factors. These are the people uh, that God used to make a big difference in my life and and I can't believe here I am, what, 55 years later, uh, talking about the goodness of God and a, an exciting mission that the Lord has given me in this wheelchair.
0: You've written dozens of books, but uh, that first book, I believe, was in the mid-70s, and you talked about experiencing this new phenomenon in your life of, of being quadriplegic, but in addition to that, you talked about something that the Church probably at that time rarely talked about, and that was the depression You face? So many people in our culture today facing depression, feeling down, just feeling like there's no hope. Certainly people could look at your situation at that moment and say there's little hope. How did you get through that time?
1: Well, I remember early on when I was uh, slowly coming up out of depression. I looked back even then and realized it was the prayers of my Christian friends and my family, my church, that made the biggest difference. Because Colin, um, depression is a dark insidious, heinous enemy to your peace of heart and mind. It can distort reality, twist it. It can make God look like an ogre, look like an enemy. It can make the word of God seem trite and not applicable. So so depression clouds your sense of reality. It clouds your thinking. Well, early on, someone had showed me a Bible verse, uh, Psalm 119, verse 50. And just listen to this. It says, my comfort in suffering is this. Okay, so what is this? What is it? What is it? What's the comfort? Your promises renew my life. And when I was shown that Bible verse, I realized that in the midst of my despair and hopelessness, which, by the way, at that point, Colin, I could not endure anymore. I was so, I was so despondent of feeling sorry for myself. I just had to live. I had to breathe. I had to feel free. I had to be able to move forward into life. God, help me get out of this depression. So back then, Colin, with Psalm 119, verse 50 under my belt, I began memorizing Bible promises. I just started memorizing them because I realized I could not believe my emotions and I dare not listen to them because they would keep dragging me down the dark, grim path to a miry pit of emotions that that suffocated me. And so, God, help me believe your promises. So I started memorizing them. And at night, when panic would rise in my throat and I would feel claustrophobia uh, from this despair, I would start reciting out loud, oh, God, you are my ever-present help in this trouble. Oh, God, you say you'll never leave me or forsake me. Oh, God, you tell me in Second Corinthians 4, 8, that though I am hard-pressed on all sides, I am not crushed. I might be perplexed, but not in despair. I mean, I just began talking to my wounded soul. And, Colin, I don't know how to describe what happened. All I know is that God transformed my life by believing on his word. And it was a tough, hard battle. But um, for any friend listening who is depressed, oh my goodness, go flip open your Bible to Psalm 119 and 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 memorize a verse, I think it's verse 50. My comfort in suffering is this, your promises renew my life.
0: You know, I'm sure there are many people across the country who have found themselves with some type of disability who are followers of Christ, but few take that and make it really their life's work. For 40 years now, you have been serving the disabled uh, communities around the world, not just here in America, but around the world. And we're going to talk about some of the ways you do that. But just before we get to that, tell me for a moment of about what got you to the point of deciding or finding that this was truly your calling, your mission for the years ahead. Well, I was challenged.
1: Oh, my goodness. Let me think. It was in the late 70s, early 1980s, when depression started to uh, get behind me. And I I was challenged by a friend to write out a mission statement for my life. And uh, my goodness, that was, what, 45 years ago. And the mission statement hasn't changed to this day. It's still the same. And I remember clearly that I wrote, I want to be God's best audiovisual aid of how his power shows up best in weakness. That was my mission statement. I wanted to live for that. And as I looked at that mission statement, I realized, oh, my goodness, well, if I'm going to be a display of God's power and weakness, who are the world's weakest? Who are the world's neediest? Obviously, people like me—people who struggle with disabilities, struggle with depression, mothers of special needs children, whose churches uh, don't seem to understand her particular challenges. Uh, you know, what about miraculous healing? What? What about? You know, what? What about um, the future of my young adult son with? a disability? Where is he going to live? Who will take care of him? All kinds of questions. And so early on, I realized that, God, this is the audience that you, you want me to speak to. And so I started Johnny and Friends. I called it Johnny and Friends, the ministry, because I sure can't do it by myself. <laughs> I've got to have lots of friends to help me being a quadriplegic. And uh, now we have a worldwide ministry, of staff of over 200 and countless volunteers across the globe. We work with regional in-country coordinators in developing nations and delivering wheelchairs and Bibles. We hold retreats for families struggling with disability here in the United States and in less resource countries around the world. So Colin, never would I have dreamed, oh, never. Back in 1979, when I began this ministry, I would never have imagined that God would use my uh, mission statement to reach that many people for the Lord Jesus.
0: Johnny, I don't know that we all have a, a true handle on how broad the disability challenge is across the world. Do you have any numbers? Can you give us any picture of how many people are dealing with disabilities that, that need assistance, that need hope, that need encouragement?
1: Well, since your podcast, your radio program focuses on missions. I will say that there are over 1 billion people with disabilities in the world, 80% of whom live in abject poverty. When I say that, I mean they have the highest rates of unemployment, homelessness, suicide. This is why we are so adamant at Johnny and Friends in taking our tested and tried programs here in the United States and fashioning them with a cultural distinctive so that we can give the hope of Jesus Christ, as well as practical help to some of these people in uh, places where the kingdom of Christ is very, very weak, where the church believes that a child with cerebral palsy is cursed by the animist spirits, where even churches in Belgium and in Western Europe uh, euthanize that child with his significant disability. You know, infanticide is commonplace. So, so um, the needs of those with disabilities overseas is critical as well as it is here uh, given the uh, devaluing of human life in the united states so again we do all we can to reach that incredibly large community of one billion who could possibly imagine but we're going to do our best to scratch the surface and meet as many Uh, needs as we possibly can.
0: So many people in need, as you were just talking about. So many people around the world. I want to talk about a couple of the specific programs that you have that have just made an incredible impact in people's lives. Just again, for those who may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about Wheels for the World.
1: There is an enormous need for all-terrain, rugged, reliable wheelchairs, especially for children in developing nations. And so Uh, We distribute appropriate wheelchairs to people with disabilities, children especially, in developing nations. But the wheelchair is mainly an entree to wake up the church because when we do a wheelchair distribution, Colin, we always involve local evangelical churches, uh, small as though they may be. And we do disability ministry training with those churches. We use translators and pastors, Bible teachers, to help us give the gospel and to explain disability um, tools and tidbits that might assist a family, help them care for that child with a disability more appropriately. So in a way, it's not just giving a, a wheelchair. It is giving the gospel and making it practical and involving the church. Of course, everybody who receives a wheelchair, that family receives a number of different Bibles, of course, in their language, and then we plug them into those churches, who for the most part, some of these Christian leaders from the churches aren't even aware that there are people with disabilities in their communities, and so they're they're just as surprised, and we tell them the mandate of Jesus himself in Luke chapter 14, who said when you give a banquet... Don't just invite your rich friends, your relatives, your neighbors, you know, people with whom you are comfortable, people uh, that you identify with, people that you resonate with. No, he says, go beyond that. Go out into the streets and the alleys, the highways and the byways. Find the disabled. Be proactive. Go out, find them and bring them in. Just don't expect to open your church door and expect them to come in. You got to go find these people because often they are living in back bedrooms, these children with disabilities. There's so much social stigma attached to disability. So we encourage the church to be really proactive. Go find these people and bring them in. All that is under the uh, roof of Wheels for the World.
0: I want to talk about the church for a moment. I know probably, again, in the early days of your ministry, very few churches had any kind of ministry for those who were disabled. I'm hearing more and more, and thankfully, that churches are Providing services to families and to children who have disabilities. Talk for a moment about the church's role, specifically, let's say, here in America, the church's role of caring for children and families who have these needs.
1: When we talk about churches reaching out to uh, special needs families, we're not really talking about a disability ministry program with its clear objectives and goals, and trained staff and budget approved by the session, you know, we're talking about relationships. We want people and churches to simply make friends with individuals with disabilities and their family members. Because people with disabilities want to want to have a, a sense of belonging in a church. They just don't want to be part of a segregated, separated, quote, program off to the side. No, they, they want to be part of the body of Christ. You know, when we hear about access, I like to think that access for a person with a disability is having a ramp to the table. Mainstreaming is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice at the table. But to embrace somebody with a disability at church, that's being heard at the table. People with disabilities want to be heard. They want to know that if they come to your church, that if they don't show up next week, they will be missed. Somebody will miss them. Somebody will call up. Hey, where were you? I missed you. Can I help? Is there anything you need? Let me come get your kid. They just want relationship. People with disabilities, their families are immersed in enough bureaucratic programs. And sometimes we think that if we just kickstart a new program uh, in our churches, that that's gonna solve the problem. But what people need, and I will go beyond just those with disabilities, what we all need in our churches is to feel like we belong, to feel like we fit, that we have a place, that we will be missed, that we're respected, enjoyed, listened to, that we can contribute. I mean, it's just um, that First Corinthians 12 description of what the body of Christ should be, right? Oh, and let me say something about the body of Christ in First Corinthians 12:22. It says, those who, quote, seem to be weaker are actually indispensable to the body. So we might think people with disabilities are weak, and they need us, and we can be a big blessing in their lives, but really, the scripture says, they only seem to be weaker. Perhaps those who are weakest are those who have misinformation, erroneous concepts about disability, fear, awkwardness, but when people with disabilities become part of the body of Christ, an active part, then they have much to offer, much to contribute, and the church gets about uh, sacrificially serving, which is, I think, normal Christian service.
0: Talk for just a moment with your unique perspective on this, on the value of life. I think maybe even people, some people, a person listening today, may feel like their life is not worth anything. They have not received that care from somebody, they have not received a relationship. Maybe they've even been shunned. They don't see of value even to their own life. Talk for a moment just about what you see as the value of life.
1: Well, I think life value is uh, best experienced in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Who are we? What value do we have? What is our purpose? Well, we are loved by God. We have been created for his glory. We exist to give him pleasure. And people, no matter what their disability, no matter what their difficult circumstances, are not going to find that without spiritual community. That's why God and his word underscores no one should ever suffer alone. Suffering is a very lonely occupation. And so let's be the church to those in our communities who are not connected or socially isolated. Let's involve them. Let's embrace them. And let's help them understand and find purpose and meaning and value by deepening their Relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one who ultimately gives meaning. He is the one who affirms our life worth and our value. Of course, we live in a society where that is being eroded quickly. Uh, even Christians feel that you are, quote, better off dead than disabled. In my own state of California, the uh, state assembly in the House, they've just passed AB 2223, which is a bill that would permit parents to escape legal prosecution, criminal prosecution, if they allow the doctors to starve their disabled child to death up to seven days after birth. That is heinous. That is unthinkable that in this country we would have such a law. But this is where our, our worldview takes us when it's not anchored to the word of God. So I'm sure our listeners in every state There are perhaps bills being entertained to legalize euthanasia, to erode the rights of the elderly, let's say, or unborn children with disabilities. So get on board, Uh, become aware, investigate what those proposed legislative efforts are in your state assemblies, and be
0: a voice for the gospel. Uh, Johnny, two final questions. What is your hope for Johnny and friends in the coming years? And finally, how can we pray for you?
1: Well, my hope is that uh, Johnny and Friends will be a beacon of hope and encouragement to the world's disabled. Right now, we have helped evacuate over 400 Ukrainians with disabilities from the war. It is always women and children with disabilities who suffer the greatest. They're the most vulnerable, shell-shocked, exhausted, separated from family and friends. And Johnny and Friends is providing homes for these people. We are addressing their long-term plight. We're providing hygiene and medical supplies, addressing their chronic conditions. And this is what I would love Johnny and Friends to be, a uh, that beacon of hope and encouragement, the gospel, where Jesus is made real to the world's disabled. So we're establishing Johnny's Houses in developing nations in places where Wheels for the World has had a successful uh, tenure for over two, three, sometimes four decades. We want to establish these houses. These are disability centers where wheelchairs can be distributed and repaired, where there can be Bible studies and discipleship, where the church, we can partner with churches and hospitals in providing long-term assistance to people with disabilities, spiritually, practically, places where the gospel shines and where people know that uh, they're going to receive love and acceptance. And so, again, we're partnering with the church, and partnering with hospitals to make this a reality. As far as people praying for me, I think our listeners can probably hear in my voice that I'm a weak person. (laughs) My lungs took quite a hit after COVID. Um, So uh, I would ask our listening friends to just be asking the Lord to give me good health so that Colin, I can enjoy fulfilling that mission statement I wrote, what, 60 some years ago. I would love to keep active in the kingdom by sharing the good news of Jesus with more people with disabilities around the world. So pray to that, Anna, if you
0: would. We'll do that. In fact, we'll do that right now. Will you join me in praying? Father, we lift up Johnny to you, her lungs, her immune system, her health. We pray that you will strengthen her and continue to guide her in leaning, Johnny, and friends. Father, we pray for the ministry as well, that it will continue to reach people for the kingdom of Christ and to help those who feel like the least of these to feel like they are your child, created in your image. Father, we lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friend, would you add Johnny's health to your prayer list along with her request to pray that she'll be able to continue to live out this mission in the coming days? I know that she would appreciate that. And before we wrap today, I also want to mention a couple of other areas of ministry that Johnny and her team are involved with. One is retreats and gatherings. If you're not familiar with these, you can find all the details at her website, which we'll link you to in our podcast notes. But essentially, for years, Johnny and team have helped put together gatherings for families where they can find help in navigating the challenges of disability. And it's fun for the whole family. In addition to these gatherings, Johnny and Friends now offers Warriors Getaways, designed to serve veterans and their families by providing a wide range of accessible family activities, powerful speakers, worship, and fellowship with other wounded veterans. They also now offer marriage getaways where spouses will experience rich community with other couples who understand the unique challenges of disability. In fact, this unique opportunity for Christ-centered encouragement comes through Bible teaching, worship, dinners, activities, and if needed, even marriage counseling. In addition, Johnny and Friends has put together the Christian Institute on Disability, which features education, training, and equipping of both individuals and churches to address the important issues related to church engagement and public policy. You know, from those early days, Johnny and Friends has grown to be an international ministry with truly global impact. I've had the great honor to partner with Johnny's Wheels for the World campaign, and I've seen wonderful radio listeners provide hundreds of wheelchairs, walkers, and crutches for people in need. You may have some of these things sitting around your house. You might actually be able to help as well. We're going to put all that contact information in today's podcast notes, so look there to connect. Finally, on a personal note, there are few people that have impacted my life more than Johnny, and I told her that after we finished our recording. When things in my own life have seemed dark and full of despair, I often think of Johnny. what she's been through, and her passion and drive to continue to do what the Lord has called her to, despite the circumstances around her. I pray that her story has been an inspiration to you today as well. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we'll talk to a man who's had over 500 coffee meetings with entrepreneurs in Africa, And how those meetings have led him to help bring financing and jobs into African countries in need. It'd be so great and helpful if you'd subscribe to this podcast, share it as well, leave a review on iTunes. And as always, if you have feedback from me, I would love to hear from you. What is God doing in your mission, in your world, in your work? email me clambert at missions today.com clambert at missions today.com be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook at missions today radio i'm colin lambert i've had a great pleasure to be with you today i hope you'll join us again next week for this incredible story coming from kenya and i pray that you will continue to lift up johnny in your hearts this week as you pray for her ministry johnny and friends Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.